What's going on, everybody? It's that time again, the All Sooners Podcast, episode 159 on this Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? How was Morgantown? You know, I'm just glad that I have my multimedia director back to host the podcast. <laughs> and I got a little rusty on post-game podcast, absolutely. Yeah, post-game podcast, post-game rap. We were trying to edit videos. It was taking forever, and we were just going, we miss you. <laughs> we miss you. Yeah, Ryan, we got out of the press box about 8 o'clock, which is 7 o'clock central, which would be the earliest We've done that all year. So, Josh, you need to pick up the pace a little, man. <laughs> I noticed podcast was like half as long. I was like, they just want to get the hell out of there. We got to like 30, 30 minutes, and I was like, you want to wrap? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out of here. Don't blame you. Ryan filled in for me on the field on probably the grossest weather game in recent OU history. Um, cold and rain is a tough combination. Our, bu- our good buddy, Eddie Ratto, is taking it on the chin. He's got the flu after that. Woof. So, uh, yeah. Um, Thankfully, glad, Ryan's not sick. Glad we got to spend most of the last two days around Eddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah in, close quarters, in close quarters. Um, yeah, hopefully uh, – I woke up this morning like no scratchiness. All right, we're good. Um, but, yeah, I, I, so, I preemptive yeah. strike. I'm, my throat's not even feeling bad, and I've been hitting the cough drops all day. <laughs> I got you doubled up. I got the airborne in the halls just in case. I got the hall strawberry ones around here somewhere. Those things are I those are like candy. I'll just eat them. Like they're they're delicious. So uh any any time I'm on board. They're in my bag at all times, just in case. Just in case I get a little bit of a tickle. When you um, talk for a living, man, you gotta keep those things handy. hundred percent. hundred percent. especially this time of year, uh into the winter, into the winter months, the cold months. But yeah, I missed you guys in Morgantown. Watched the game from home. Um, I definitely was cozy at home looking at the weather and was like, man, I could be in that, but I still wish I was there helping with you guys. So thankfully we'll be, uh, back to normal the rest of the way. Uh, just a couple games left here. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Bowl game is in jeopardy significantly. Yep. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but we'll start how we always do. We'll wrap up West Virginia, which for me is just to give my, my takes on West Virginia real quick. And you guys already did the post game show. We won't talk about it for real long. I'll say real quick. Um, just my gut check reaction watching the game at home was, man, this is awful. I mean, it, it was really bad. That's as bad as the losses Oklahoma's had. Um, West Virginia is really bad. Uh, last place in the conference coming in. Um, coach is on the hot seat. They still fire their AD after this game. That's yeah. how bad they are and how where they're at. Even being Oklahoma wasn't enough to like, ah, we're still AD still going to step down. Um, Neil Brown's not going to survive. He might get to the end of the season. He probably will at this point because they're this close, but he won't be back next year. I'd be surprised. Um, they never beaten Oklahoma, not once, since they come to Big 12. And there have been a lot better West Virginia teams than this one, a lot better. Um, and that was the first time they'd ever beat OU. Um, just a debacle, as as low as it gets, to lose that game. We talked about that in last week's midweek show. I mean, last place, even though it's on the road, you're Oklahoma, you just can't. And they did. They lost and you know, I won't dive in every aspect of the game, but the fourth down at the end to not go for it was wild to me. Um, I was surprised that he, and they tried the long kick. I didn't really get why Brent, Brent Venable said in post game, you know, offense wasn't doing anything. It's not going to miraculously. It was like, it was fourth and three and you're running the ball really well. And that was a long field goal. Um, I, I didn't get that. And then they never got the ball back. Um, so I don't know. There was some head scratching, more head scratching coaches decisions in that game than I thought of any, um, just strange stuff and discipline continues to be an issue. 
um, tackling in key moments, the fake punt, like eight guys were in position to make that play. <laughs> Nobody could do it. Just all the ugly habits reared their ugly head. And at the end, they still lose by one one score. You know, that's kind of the, the theme of this season. Um, so I don't know. Have you guys had any alterations since uh, since Saturday? I mean, it was that was really ugly. Yeah, you touched on a lot of stuff, Josh. Um, you didn't touch on the penalty in the end zone that I said no real time. He hit him late. That should be a penalty. And everybody around me was like, nah, he was, knee wasn't down. I was like, his knee was down. His knee touched down. He gave himself up. He got hit. Uh, the, the officials told Brent Venables, no, he didn't see it that way. Didn't see it that way. Well, which he didn't get into in the post game. Well, he got into it in, uh, briefly yesterday at his press conference, which was they told him, yeah, we screwed up. We shouldn't have picked up that flag. That flag should have held, which would have replayed the down, I think, uh, when you had a, a offsides and a, a personal foul. Um, you're right. Fourth and three. My first reaction was, why are they kicking it here? Why aren't they going for it? Uh, in this, in these weather conditions, in the weather, in his face, with a kicker who had previously missed a 54 yarder, this was a 46 yarder. Why are they kicking it here? Why in the world? I actually, I asked Brent Venables in the press, in the postgame press conference, why did you go for it there? Did you have to, you know, weigh a big decision? And he's, he, I loved his answer. Our offense wasn't doing anything good. Our offense was one for 11 on, for, on third downs. Why would we go for it there? Um, I asked Jeff Levy about it, and he said that, uh, yeah, we wanted to get that third down. We wanted to pick up that third down conversion uh, or at least get to a shorter yardage and, you know, didn't get it. Got a zero, fourth and three, kicked the field goal. As I said in the postgame, field goal, uh, the, 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 the big H, the big yellow H that you kick the ball through right at the end of the game. Um, gets really small when the wind is blowing and it's 46 yards and the rain is coming down. So yeah, I would have, I would have probably gone for it if I were Venables, but I can't criticize his decision because he's hundred percent right. The offense was doing nothing. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to break down and consider this. You're right, Josh. OU was to me by far the, by far the better team dropped a touchdown pass at the goal line, another missed throw, which could have been a big play. Um, the touchdown was called back. Yeah. Ended up being a field goal, I think. Uh, that wasn't the fourth down that they failed. That was the field goal, right? Um, yeah, the was touchdown was called back. Braden Willis ran his route too deep. He's not supposed to run it that deep. This is your senior captain, best player on the team. He ran the wrong route, and he got you know got called for, for a legal man downfield because he was beyond the line of scrimmage. Or not downfield, but a legal block because he was beyond the line of scrimmage. Uh, the missed field goal off the upright – um, a lot of opportunities for Oklahoma to have separated in that game, and they missed almost every one of them. Yeah, I think the most damning thing is Jeff Levy after the game talked about how he basically, because of the conditions, had to take the ball out of Dylan Gabriel's hand in the second half and especially the fourth quarter. Yep. Fine. I get that. As someone that was standing on the field, math checks out. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, not an arm strength guy. We've seen it as his Ball gets pushed around by the wind, no problem. That'll be an issue this weekend. So totally get that. But where was the adjustment from Jeff Levy? It was just traditional run game the rest of the way. It wasn't a, hey, Dylan, you're not going to be a factor in the passing game because no one's a factor in the passing game today. So let's move some quarterback run game into the offense in the fourth quarter. Give West Virginia a different look. We saw in the two-point conversion, Marvin Mims was put into the backfield to basically run a little speed option, right? And Mims didn't have to get the pitch or anything like that, but – 
that, that's a different look. And I, I think that's where we've seen Jeff Levy be so creative at different times. You go back to the second or third drive in Fort Worth where Farouk and Mims were put into the backfield for swing passes, stuff like that. Where the hell was any of that when you can't throw the ball downfield in Morgantown? Like he's so creative on, it feels like scripted moments of, Hey, in the first quarter on this throwaway drive, I want to do this to just to put this out there that why are you not going back to that? Why are you not in those third and fourth down the the short yardage stuff in the second half, considering the wildcat, if you know, you're just going to run the football. Like to me, that's the biggest indictment on, Jeff Levy so far is that he's been very creative. The offense has put up a ton of numbers. They've been very close. Kansas State, fine. A couple of throws with Dilly Gabriel. But against Baylor and against uh, West Virginia, the creativity wasn't there when Oklahoma needed a spark. And, and that's where a young coordinator kind of needs to take those next couple of steps over the next few years. I was confused. There's a few times where Eric Gray, uh, would they would get away from him. Um, and it made no sense. I mean, he was he was dominating. Uh, he He... I say only, I mean, 25 carries is a lot, but 25, I mean, he was, he had 211 yards. I mean, he was absolutely owning. And my only, you know, my first thought, you know, um, with the conditions and just everything was obviously the Pirine game against Kansas where he set the record, right? He got 37 carries in that game. Pirine did. Greg got 25 here. Like with the way the weather was, you know, there was sometimes where they went, there was one spot in the middle of the game. I should have looked it up. There were, they went three and out with three non Eric Gray carries. And it was like, that shouldn't happen. Um, I think it came kind of back to what Brett Venner was talking about last week. You know, the, you know, run it again thing. Like, Eric Gray is, you're just dominating with him. Like, you don't need to get away from it just for the sake of it. Yeah, and I think that moment you're talking about came after a turnover. Like, after the suspect interception where suddenly OU yeah, goes right. tempo, which... I don't know how this coaching staff didn't see at Iowa State, hey, you didn't need to go tempo, tempo, snap it immediately. You didn't snap the ball with five seconds left, but snap it with 20 seconds left on the clock to get the first down. Like That's tempo 101, especially with an offense that's struggling with consistency. It, the decision-making doesn't make a lot of sense as of late. Yeah, and that Braden Willis touchdown was in the second quarter, did lead to that field goal. So it went from third and one to fourth and 15. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was the right play call. That was a great play call. It works. If he runs the route right, it's a touchdown. Oklahoma should have absolutely separated from this team. We talked about it. Worst team in the Big 12 Conference. There was a there was a winless team the week before, and this team lost to that winless team. Iowa State now has one win because they beat West Virginia. Iowa State's not good. They got a good defense, but Iowa State's not good. They beat West Virginia. T- turn around seven days later, and West Virginia beats Oklahoma it's uh, it's pretty unforgivable. It is. And they're 5-5 five and five now, and they have to fight for their life to get to a bowl game. Yeah, 100%. And uh, it just goes back to what we've been saying a bunch, just anti-complimentary football. It's like just impossible for them to put it all together for even, you know, one quarter. I mean, the defense was keeping them in it. Offense gets a score before half, and they give the big return at least a point. I mean, it's just like that just it keeps happening. It's, it's, it's insane. And like who said – Fighting for your life to get to a bowl. They're five and five now. And I think that law, I mean, we've been talking about it. Obviously, it's been a conversation, the bowl eligibility and thing, but that loss has really like pressed the red panic button of this team might not make a bowl. Like they got two more yeah. games here, Bedlam at home, and then in at Texas Tech to end the season. Can you guys put into context how insane it would be for you to not even make a bowl? And and 
how likely is it? I feel like it's it's pretty likely at this point. Fairly, yeah, fairly likely. Um, I want to revisit one thing first about the the West Virginia game. Um, Ryan talked about the one thing that stood out to him. The one thing that stands out to me is obviously the inability to stop a quarterback who can move his feet. Huh. Uh, they pounded and pounded and pounded poor JT Daniels because he was a statue back there. He couldn't move around. They got after him like they haven't gotten after anybody since, you know, uh, Casey Thompson at Nebraska. They, they got yeah. after the quarterback, chased him, hit him, threw him to the ground. And, you know, Neil Brown, who is getting ready to get fired, as you said, shout out Neil Brown for making a gutsy change and saying, you know what, what we're doing is not working. Uh, the backup, Garrett, Garrett Green, are you ready? Are you ready to go? Let's go get in there. Change the game. Change the entire tenor of the Oklahoma defense. They went from beating up poor J- JT Daniels to wondering who the heck this kid was, where he came from, why he's running around them. Uh, had a, you know, just a big day rushing, a big day passing as a backup. Um, just, again, unforgivable tackling, missed tackles in the fourth quarter, piled up one after another. Every time that kid took off, what happened? Somebody missed a tackle somewhere, and it was a big gain. It was a third and six. It was a fourth and seven. It was a fourth and two. It was a how, – how do you ten, – 10 games into the season now, 11 weeks you've been at this, and you still can't corral or cage, as Brent Venable said, a, a mobile quarterback. They just the, – the lane, the running, rushing lanes just disappear – open wide up and it it's it's every man for himself and nobody's playing team defense anymore it's it's shocking how this how that game turned with the backup quarterback well good thing they don't have a talented runner this week someone that's actually dynamic and not just gritty because garrett green is not a dynamic runner of the football he can run the football he wasn't running away from anybody he was he wasn't really running over people he was running through arm tackles it's kind of what ted roof talked about uh yeah this week you got spencer sanders who um, to me, still doesn't look right throwing the ball, but is just as tough as it gets and is still running the ball the, as effective as he was earlier in the year. And uh, if Oklahoma can't just line up and, and, and beat Oklahoma State, Josh, to your, your question about bowl eligibility, like um, you and I kind of talked about this last night after we were in the bowels of the Lloyd Noble Center after the UNC Wilmington game, kind of rolling through post game. And it's like, if Oklahoma loses senior day, emotional, bedlam, does anyone have any belief that this team is going to get up and go the next weekend into Lubbock at night and want any part of a Red Raiders team that is also in year one with Joey McGuire trying to you know, do all the momentum, all that stuff going into bowl season? Like, no, I, th- there's no shot. Like, Oklahoma making a bowl game really feels like you beat Oklahoma State, maybe you finish 2-0, and you lose this weekend, that team's not going to have a pulse in Lubbock. It's crazy um, that we're sitting here and it it feels real that they're not going to play in a bowl. I mean, they got two more shots here. It's Bedlam. I mean, it's not – they're favorited still somehow by a touchdown this weekend. Um, but, man, it it's uh, – we were talking about it, you know, back even when they were still 5-3. and three, Like, they want to get this last win, and now here we are. It's lingering. There's two games left, and – they're far from gimmies, and yeah, it's uh, it's kind of nuts if this team doesn't get to bowl, and they need the extra practices. They need the extra practices. They need the extra game to have some some semblance of momentum into the offseason. Uh, so we'll I have a theory about that. The extra practices, yes, would be very good for everybody who comes back next year. 
I think they're going to. I think we're going to see a lot of roster turnover again this year. I really do. New coach, guys oh, yeah, coming off an emotional drop drain after Lincoln leaves. They they put a year into Brent Venable's system. You miss a bowl game, or go five, six and six, right? Seven and five, even. Uh, are you? How fired up are you to to come back? How fired up are you to to be part of this program, part of this team? A lot of guys are going to. I'm not saying everybody's leaving, but a lot of guys are going to be obviously fully invested. No doubt about it. But there's also going to be a few guys who say, no, nah, I'm good. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, uh, this one coach recruited me, and this is my last chance to play, and they've got a winning program. They're going to be uh, really good next year. They're going to go to the playoff. You're going to see some guys test the transfer portal, and you're going to see some guys test the NFL waters as, as well. I think Marvin Mims might be one of those guys who explores his NFL future. Uh, and there's going to be a few of them that say, I could come, like Nick Benito did last year, like Perry L. Winfrey. Yeah, I could come back, but I think I'd rather go – play in the NFL and get that started. I think you're going to see a lot of turnover this year. So what good would those 15 bowl practices do for a bunch of guys who have opted out, aren't going to participate in them. You're going to have a lot of freshmen and a lot of underclassmen, a lot of walk-ons and backups going through bowl practice. That's what I think you want though. I mean, no one gives a rip about if OU wins the Liberty bowl or the independence bowl, anything like that. And for the fan base, no one's going to care about if so-and-so hits the portal or, or moves on or whatever. So th- that's what the everyone's wanted. Jaron Cannett, Kip Lewis, those guys, and, uh, and Robert Spears Jennings, all that stuff. And, and that's what people want to see, frankly. So Concrete Kobe. Yeah, correct. Concrete Kobe, maybe some uh, Savion Bird, you know, that second unit offensive line that we've seen play a, a series here or there. That's what people want to see, and those are the guys that need those reps. So, I mean, yes, there's going to be turnover, all that stuff, but I don't really think that matters outside of if you're really juiced about winning the Liberty Bowl. Like, those 15 practices for those young guys, like, yeah, you've got 15 practices, basically three weeks to prepare like you're a first-teamer. We saw what it did for a guy like Jalil Farouk last year, bouncing him into this season. Uh, That would be more valuable than anything, and and the opt-outs might even help that because it's not even a – Okay, Jaron Kanick, for instance, you get the all the first team snaps for the first five practices, and then okay, now as we've rested the starter, now you split them for the last ten. If everyone's opted out, it's like no, you guys are it. Take some ownership of it. I think that's almost more helpful. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that'd be great for the young guys. Um, I just wonder how many of those guys are going to opt out, and and you're practicing with a bunch of players who. Probably you're going to be, if you lose a bunch of guys, you're probably going to have to replace them in the transfer portal, despite what Brent Venable said yesterday about not, doesn't really know yet what he needs in the transfer portal, but he anticipates a couple of roster spots. I think he's going to need a lot more than a couple. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, I think that the the opt-outs for guys who are, who are going to test the NFL waters, but also people, guys are going to hit the portal. There's going to be some some pretty good turnover, it feels like. And so it'll it'll clear the way for them to be forced, basically, to play Jaron Kanick a bunch, you know, Robert Spears Jennings, like Ryan said. I mean, maybe even Jade Gibson gets more right. I mean, these guys who are supposedly like your future, right? I mean, so I think that I, I that's where I think the value is. So we'll see if uh, they can get there. Got to win a game. Um, it looks like there's going to, you know, there was a lot of talk about like if they go five and seven, could they still maybe get one because of, you know, the academic part of it and stuff. But I, I want to say at least a couple weeks ago, and I could be wrong, um, should check on it, but that there was a belief that there would actually be more bowl eligible teams than bowls this year. So yeah. it would be opposite issue. Some teams who actually get to bowl eligibility won't get a bowl. Now that wouldn't be an issue for Oklahoma. If OU's bowl eligible, they're going to put them in a bowl. 
but the five and seven thing I don't think is in play, but we'll see. Um, Wild, wild that we're even having that conversation. It's pretty unbelievable. So wrapping up Brent's press conference yesterday, and then we'll dive into Bedlam. Gave a few injury updates. Justin Broyles expects him to be back, which is crazy. Um, He looked definitely like he was dead, and uh, he's good to go. It sounds like he's going to maybe play this weekend. Secondary as a whole is in good shape because he said Key Lawrence and Jane Davis both are expected to be back as well. Jalen Redmond and Andrew Rame. Dicey basically was not committal game time decision. See how it goes, kind of a thing. But still, I mean, overall, could be worse. And your secondary, you need those. You need those guys. So um, Oklahoma, relatively in a rosy spot. You really hope you get Redmond, uh, especially back though, if if you can. You need Redmond and you need Broyles for sure. Uh, a couple of local guys who have a little pride about what Bedlam means to them. Uh, that that would be huge, especially Broyles. You know, he absolutely looked like he was out for the year and career ending. And oh my gosh, his knee bent backwards. And yeah, it was just a simple hyperextension, no structural damage. So that's great news. And they're they're going to need uh, an experienced set of eyes back there in the secondary, what, keeping it keeping an eye on uh, on uh, Spencer Sanders for sure. And again, with Redmond, arguably when he's healthy, possibly your most dynamic pass rusher. You need yeah. that that push up the middle with uh, Spencer Sanders. Now here's the deal. You get too much pressure up the middle on Spencer Sanders. He's going to get out of that cage and he's going to cause damage elsewhere on the field. That's kind of how Brent expressed it yesterday was you, you cover too good and he's going to take off and run. And that's never a good thing for your defense. So uh, yeah, they're in kind of a rock and a hard place there. They, they need to get pressure on Spencer Sanders, but not too much pressure, make him uncomfortable Hit him early, maybe in his dropbacks, but uh, yeah, good to see that uh, Andrew Rain would be another one. Although Oklahoma State surely is not anything dangerous or dynamic on de- on the defensive line in the middle. Um, they've got those defensive ends who are having a pr- what they would probably call a subpar year. But Andrew Rain in the in the middle and having a uh, Conjol Robert Conjol come in and, and back him up ably, back him up. Uh, it's good to have that depth in certain positions because uh, this com- they're coming down the stretch, man. They need it. Yeah, I don't think OU needs to worry about creating too much pressure this weekend. That's not going to be uh, in their vocabulary. <laughs> That's not what uh, they've done at any point this year. But I, I think the Rame thing is pretty big. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that the offense petered off a bit in the second half as Rob Conjol came in just because – Dylan Gabriel talked about how important the line of communication is between him and Andrew Rame. I think that was two weeks ago about how Rame has come along as far as calling out coverages, calling out, Hey, this is where we need to slide protection, this, that, all that stuff. And so I just think that that's one of those things where even if the strength of Oklahoma state's defensive line is on the exterior, that's still a unit that especially like third and longs, they can get creative and take, one of those uh, tackles off the field and slide guys inside and kind of make it a slimmer, faster group in those obvious situations. And that's where the communication for me is really important. So I think that's a big part of Raim if he can't go, because Brent Middles basically said, he basically said it was a pain tolerance thing for him and that he's going to have to have surgery at some point. So if Raim can go just from a communication standpoint, I think that's huge. 100%. That's a good point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they said they like is big too, and and Jaden yeah. Davis, you're getting three starting members of your secondary back uh, just in time. I mean, that that goes underreported in that West Virginia loss, does it not? For sure, for sure. So, like I said, could be worse. Um, 
and we'll see if uh, Redmond and Randles will be two of the ones that I'll be keeping an eye out for uh, on the field while I'm shivering on uh, on Saturday night. Ian Norman, one last thing uh, that Brent said, and then we'll dive into Bedlam. We'll take a break and dive into Bedlam. Um, talking about the portal yesterday, who of you the one who asked him about it? And you kind of referenced it earlier. He, he was kind of, you know, on what they would need. He admitted they need some couple spots. He didn't really get into details, but he said specifically, he made a point to, you know, I mean, he wasn't asked directly. He made a point to say, we don't need a quarterback, in my opinion. Um, what's your guys' reaction to that? Because that 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 surprised me that he would just say it. Um, and he's honest. I mean, he told us after the spring game, you know, hey, we need quarterbacks. You remember, he was honest then, so I don't know why he wouldn't be being honest now. Um, yeah. And I feel like they do need a quarterback. I, I would be looking to get one if it was me. Um, For sure. And, I mean, you don't really have – we talked about it at length. They don't have any other viable option on the team right now. And you're adding Jackson Arnold, who's going to be great. We all think that, but he's going to be a true freshman. Um, and I mean, uh, to put it this way, and again, we all like Dylan Gabriel and he's done some nice things, but he has not done enough this year, especially in the last few weeks to just say, you're the guy next year. Like they should have a competition. They should add bodies and let it right. be a battle. Um, I compare it you know, my, favorably in my mind to, what Lincoln did with with uh, Jalen Hurts, one year guy, and then you turn it over to your hot shot, which is Spencer Rattler, Jackson Arnold. That's what I'd be looking to do. I don't think Dylan Gabriel's in enough to just say, "Yeah, he's the guy again." I mean, he's he struggled. Um, he hasn't played well, so yeah, I was a little surprised by that. I was too, uh, especially because he, like you said, you he just offered it up, like, "Oh, well, here's yeah. something that I think, and I think this," and it was, "We don't need a quarterback through the portal." I. I agree. And when that tweet got out, when that comment got out, the fan base said, what, what are you talking about? Of course they need a quarterback through the portal. So everybody's pretty, pretty fairly on board with that. I appreciate Brent Venables for being that guy that's going to go out and tell the truth and pump up his guys and say, Hey, Jackson Arnold, who he can't name by name and was very clever and creative in the way he did talk about him yesterday. Uh, Jackson Arnold is my guy. Dylan Gabriel is my guy. Appreciate, I appreciate that. But I, I'll be honest with you guys. I think that mindset kind of created this Dylan Gabriel situation where they're at right now with their backup quarterbacks way back on whatever it was, February 4th, when Jeff Levy came out and said, oh, no, there's no competition. Dylan Gabriel's our starter. What did that do for Oklahoma's efforts after spring football to get a, a quarterback in the, or during spring football during that whole time to get a quarterback through the transfer portal. They needed one. They need, they went out and they got two, one from the portal, one from Juco. Meanwhile, you got a guy like Chubba Purdy, not a superstar, but he's a serviceable quarterback. He's back doing, up. Yeah. Doing things at Nebraska. I think he's taken over or at least last week recently was taken over uh, some snaps and, and starting job for, uh, for Casey Thompson, Chubba Purdy at Nebraska. What about Jackson Dart? Jackson Dart was visiting Oklahoma, was wearing the uniform, posing for pictures with his buddy, the tight end. He wanted to come or was considering coming to Oklahoma. That thing came out about, uh, and I, I don't remember, forgive me, I don't remember exactly the timeline of when he committed, when he said that, when spring football started, but I know it didn't help the transfer portal situation. Jackson Dart is tearing it up at Ole Miss, tearing it up at Ole Miss. If you had not closed that door way back in February when Jeff Levy arrived and, and got you know recruiting and spring practice going and all that, if you had not closed that door, there might be other guys on the bench right now who could come in 
and play against TCU, could come in and play against Texas, and could provide some competition moving forward in 2023. I thought that was a mistake then, and I think it's a mistake right now to say we don't need a portal guy. True, you probably don't, but if your freshman comes in and is the Superman five-star that everybody thinks he is, and your starter, Dylan Gabriel, goes through the entire season and stays healthy, you don't need a backup quarterback. You don't need a transfer portal quarterback. But if any of those things is not 100% true in 2023, you've shot yourself in both feet by not bringing in or or shutting that door to bring in a transfer quarterback. Yeah, I think that Brent Venables continues to paint in broad strokes when, like Josh, I think's right, and I think you're right, Hoove, that yeah, like you don't need a guy that's like a, a sophomore transferring and clogging up your your line of procession of all that stuff. But if there's a grad transfer quarterback out there that has a maximum of one year, why would you not bring that person in, have them compete with Dylan Gabriel, have them compete with Jackson Arnold and say, here you go. We, we have actual competition for the quarterback. It's not a camp arm situation. And then because you have actual competition, you have an actual backup because that's yeah. necessary. O- Oklahoma uh, probably going to be replacing some pieces on the offensive line. I would bet Anton Harrison goes to the league, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen like that recruiting, that development path hadn't been awesome. And that, that them being awesome had been a big reason why Oklahoma had gone years without needing to start a game with a backup quarterback. So uh, I just don't understand why – Brent Venables continues to not just take tools and lock them up, but just he's taking half of his toolbox and throwing it into a lake because he really loves his one hammer. And that's what he's going to use to to do every home improvement project as he strips this thing down to the studs. You know, here's the thing. I'm not sitting here knocking Dylan Gabriel. I think Dylan's a good quarterback. I think he has the ability, long-term potential, whatever you want to call it, to be a great quarterback. I do. But I can tell you this, if he's got somebody good behind him, who's pushing him in practice every day and taking snaps and taking reps and taking his job, he's going to be better. He's going to be better than he is right now because he's being pushed from behind by a backup quarterback who wants those snaps and wants that job. And if he's not better, guess what? Then he's not better. The other guy's better. You get a better quarterback out of it either way. That yeah. just It just feeds itself. I just don't understand the mentality there. Yeah, I, I think Dylan Gabriel's perfectly fine starting quarterback as well. I Like I said, I just don't. He hasn't done enough this year to just, oh, he's the guy next year. Like, he just – he hasn't. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, if Jackson Dart very well comes to Oklahoma, if he felt like he had a fair shake at the job, and I don't think he did. I think he thought, I'm going to Oklahoma to be the backup, and I don't – I want a fair shot to start. He didn't go to Ole Miss as the the definite starter there either. It was between him and Plumlee, and he won that job. And like who said earlier, he's playing well. Um, if Dart was here right now – I mean, who knows where we'd be right now. Um, so, yeah, that might have been a misstep, and it's hurt hurt them in trying to get a backup, and it's going to hurt them again. Um, they're going to be stuck with um, – I don't even know. The, that backup situation is going to be weird uh, next year. You assume it would be Arnold, but maybe not. I don't know. If, if all these guys are back, if you have Bevel, Booty, I mean, Evers, I mean, all these guys are back. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, That was surprising to me, and uh, it would be best served to try and find a guy to at least battle with Gabriel in spring and in fall for the job next year, in my opinion. I I do think that the Gabriel thing ahead of this season's a bit overblown as far as Levy coming out and naming him the starter. 
kids aren't stupid and quarterback transfers know that you get basically one shot at it pretty much. And then you get labeled as the guy, if you screw it up two transfers in a row that you get labeled as the guy that moves around. Whatever Levy and Venable said, do you really not believe that everyone was going to go, wait, 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 Dylan Gabriel, when he tore it up at UCF, his offensive coordinator was checks notes, Jeff Levy. Like, I, I don't think you're giving other quarterbacks enough credit that whether it's explicitly said or not, I think they were always going to be up a creek once Dylan Gabriel was on board for this last year recruiting the portal because everyone was just going to assume Gabriel's going to ride with his guy or Levy's going to ride with his guy who was Gabriel at UCF. Now that changes this spring and in this offseason when you have a whole yeah. year of misfiring. And I'll, I'll disagree with you on that, Ryan, in that Lincoln Riley knew very well that Kyler Murray was the starting quarterback. He knew very well that Baker Mayfield was better than Trevor Knight. He knew very well that Jalen Hurts was better than uh, Tanner Mordecai. He never said it. He never came out and said, this guy's our starter at the beginning of spring practice. He kept that thing open and he kept those guys engaged and he made them better players because he made them compete. Now, we all knew, everybody knew who the starting quarterback would be. And uh, I just think it's, it would be a better, better optics and then a better final product, whether that's a lot more snaps for Dylan Gabriel or a lot more snaps for a backup, a better product if you've got two guys competing for the starting job or at least believing that they're competing for the starting job. Lincoln Riley also didn't recruit quarterbacks every other year unless Chandler Morris fell into his lap. So like, yeah, he didn't need to because anyone that came knew. You know what I mean? Like he, he actively didn't recruit quarterbacks. So what's better, not saying it explicitly or just not even touching whole years of quarterback <laughs> classes? Yeah, I don't know. Some of the Lincoln stuff was just shenanigans. That was annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah. at the time. This was this was more of a misstep, I think, just because they didn't have another quarterback with a pulse on the team. So to just, at the time, to be like, oh, Gabriel's, yeah, definitely are. Like, I mean, Levy laughed off that question. I mean, that – if you're Dart, I mean, whatever, you got to see that and be like, I don't feel like I'm really going to have a shot to win the job there. Why would I go there? And that's how you end up with, you yeah. know, not dumping on him, but Davis Bevel is your backup. Knowing you're already behind the eight ball, knowing that Lebby and Gabriel already have a, a uh, history behind them, right? And he's run his offense and that's his guy. To, for them to come out and say it on February 4th or whatever the date was, uh, yeah. just reinforces, I'm not going to Oklahoma. I want to be a starting quarterback. I'm definitely not going to Oklahoma. Yeah, and again, it's not like he had, he wanted a ready-made. He went to Ole Miss and battled for it and won it. Um, so he was ready to battle for it, clearly. He just obviously felt like he had a better shot at Ole Miss. So I don't know. We'll see how that gets played out. It's going to be interesting. Uh, the Gabriel came the starter after Dart committed, too, by the way. Gabriel Dart did committed what? on January 29th. Gabriel was named the starter on February 4th. So he said it after they had missed out. Like Again, I think this is way overblown. They needed to get a quarterback last portal. This year is a different conversation. I thought Dart had committed later than that. I, I, I mis- misremember. That was a wild time. I was thinking Dart was uh, a later. I thought he started spring with USC well, for some reason. When we got Levy, that was the late signing period, Presper, yeah, not the early one. Day. So February 4th is when that statement was made. J- January 29th is when Dart announced. So they okay. they recruited, oh. recruited, recruited, didn't get anybody. Oh. The question then becomes, did Jackson Dart on his recruiting visit come in here and say, hey, coach, can't wait to get here and you know see what you guys are about. 
and uh, I compete with Dylan. And at some point, did Jeff Levy pull him aside and said, Dylan's our starter. You're going to be the backup if you come here. Or he read the room. I mean, if he's telling us that five days later, he yeah. may have very well told the kid that same thing. Yeah, because obviously Gabriel had been in-house for a long time at that point. Yeah. He committed to Oklahoma, yeah, a while ago. So, yeah. I don't know. That timeline, who knows? Uh, what I do know is portal season is going to be nuts. Uh, it's going to be a lot of turnover. We're going to be busy um, keeping be busy. up with the portal in the month of December uh, this year and, and into January, I'm sure. Wild times. All right, long first segment. We had a lot to get to. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We've got Bedlam breakdown. And we'll also, of course, on the horizon, look around the Big 12 a little bit and talk about some OU hoops. Um, both teams are winning since the last podcast. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show as well on the Elstoners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the all-star service agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allsooners.com. We're a fan nation affiliate part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, let's break down some bedlam. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State on Saturday in Norman. The penultimate game in Norman, you presume, if uh, penultimate bedlam game, I should say, if it goes to the full uh, contract for the SEC. They should come back to Norman in 2024. Again, assuming the schedule's all normal, the, the, the Super Big 12 makes things weird, but you have to assume Bedlam's still going to get played uh, each year. It'd be weird if it wasn't. Oklahoma Cubs in a play. I mentioned earlier, somehow a 7.5 point favorite. <laughs> I can't fathom that line. Cannot fathom it, but that's the reality. Also can't fathom this TV slot. 6.30 on ABC. What the hell, where did that come from? After all the jokes we made about the Ocho and Comedy Central and Facebook Live. HGTV. They got got literally the primetime spot, like the premier slot in the sport. Night on ABC. It's uh, unbelievable that happened. OSU, 22 in the college football playoff rankings. They are 7-3. and Um, They kind of had a similar year to OU in terms of that Sanders was hurt for a little while and it kind of, Giving them some losses they maybe otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, he's back now, though. They're a good team. They're not great, but they're good. And uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. It's uh, it's bedlam. It's uh, always fun, but Oklahoma. It feels like OU is a huge underdog, but they're literally a seven and a half point favorite. It's I don't. My brain is melting thinking about that. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure about the the betting line, other than. A lot of dumb people go to Vegas and place their money on teams that they, oh, I know you. Yeah, they're the Sooners, right? They got the horses, and, and they place money on OU. 
in the Bedlam game. They always beat Oklahoma State. 90 to 19 and 7 is the series. They're always. Mike Gundy has only got three, whatever it is, three wins, four wins against them. Of course, Oklahoma's going to win. They don't really pay attention to what's going on on the field on a week to week basis. So I think that's probably a little bit in play. It was just the amount of money that's come in because the game opened at five. It's now at seven and a half. Um, as for the 6.30 p.m. time slot on ABC, how's this for a conspiracy theory? The Big 12 and their TV partners are saying, oh, you're going to go to the SEC and you're five and five? Fine, we'll put you on primetime so everybody can see how terrible you are this year and watch uh, you get your butts beat by Oklahoma State. Huh? How's that for a conspiracy theory? Could be. Well, it makes sense from the Big 12 side. ESPN's like, no, 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 no. This is our big money acquisition. We stopped bidding for the Big Ten so we could get the new SEC. Please hide this game so that our so that our property people don't have this burned into their mind of what could happen when they think about Brett Venables and Steve Sarkeesian. But uh, when you look around, it, it is a bad slate of games. Um, the Pac-12 basically is having conference championship semifinals this weekend, and USC and UCLA was picked up by big noon to be in in primetime on Fox. And I imagine the Pac-12, the the Oregon-Utah game, they said, please don't put our two premier games head-to-head. So that's your two big games. So I guess that opened up a spot for whatever this is going to be to be on ABC. Still, I I think you could have found more compelling games. But it'll be interesting just because there's going to be that when Oklahoma State's offense has the ball, I think the Cowboys should have supreme confidence. They'll be able to move the ball and score in Oklahoma, except for the most effective thing they could do, which is let Spencer Sanders cook, is also the most dangerous thing that they could do because the second that he becomes a runner, he opens himself up to, to kind of potentially risk more injury where you've seen the, yeah. the Gunner Gundy show is not good. It's not going to cut it. So that's going to kind of be the... I think nervous energy every time the Oklahoma State offense and the OU defense is on the ball or on the field because when that side of the ball is on the field, everyone in Norman, the fans, OU fans, will be like, "Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God!" And when Spencer Sanders breaks through the line, it's going to be for OSU fans a, a moment of yes, yes, go, but also like please slide, please slide, please slide. So I, I think that'll make for a pretty interesting dynamic as that kind of unfolds on Saturday night. What's interesting to me is in the matchup, the X's and the O's is that in Oklahoma State's offense, you've got the 91st-ranked run offense in the country. They're terrible at rushing the football. Uh, 2.8 yards per carry last week against Iowa State. Guess who's 120th in the country in stopping the run? Yeah, the <laughs> Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, yeah. Conversely, you've got uh, a pass defense in, in a, a pass offense in Oklahoma that ranks 63rd passing yards in the, in the country, 63rd in the country. Not great, very average. But your guess who ranks 128th in the country in stopping the pass this week? It's going to be weakness on weakness, both offensively and defensively for these teams. Uh, that's an interesting matchup to me. It's kind of strange about the fact that, you know, tying up the, the fact that it's on ABC too, is that it's not Fowler and Herb Street doing the game, yeah. which is strange to me. I never understand that dynamic. You, you know where those guys are headed this week? Have you guys looked? Uh-uh. They're going to Columbia, South Carolina. Tennessee at South Carolina. That's the game that they're doing. So it, it's weird to me. It's like, we'll give you the primetime slot, but we're not going to give you our A announcing team. So it's a kind of a weird, how does that decision get made? And it's not like it's easier for game day. Game day is in Montana. So I think Oklahoma and South Carolina at the very, that's like the same, right? I mean, I guess my geography, my geography skills, my wife reminds me stink 
I feel like that's probably about the same, though, <laughs> relatively speaking, to get there. Yeah, I mean, as far as a flight, I mean, like, what's the difference? So, weird. But, yeah, this game, I mean, it, it it's a strange one. OSU, OSU smells blood in the water here. I mean, they, they see an opportunity. You can, you can hear it the way Spencer Sanders was talking after the Iowa State game, like, oh, I'm not missing Bedlam, you know, that kind of stuff. Oklahoma State is, they're going to come into this game. Obviously, they want to win. They always do. It's Bedlam. But they want to embarrass OU if they can. And they have potential to. I mean, that's just the reality here. I mean, I it's hard for me to envision a world where Oklahoma, where Spencer Sanders does not have a huge game. I guess I'll put it that way. Barring he gets hurt. Because it's just the way he can move and his ability to hit him over the top. It's 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 scary if you're OU. you got to be going to this game like, Ugh, I hope Spencer Sanders doesn't have like a, a monster We'll remember it forever type of game because that's how it it feels to me. So I don't know. We'll see how that shakes out. It could on Saturday. I mean, think about it. Colin Schley was very difficult to tackle. He plays for Kent State. Now they only scored three points, but the kid was elusive. Adrian Martinez became a Heisman Trophy contender playing against Oklahoma. Uh, who was next after that? Max Duggan. Look at what he did against Oklahoma, running with the football. Uh, and then you saw Garrett Green the, the last week, uh, backup quarterback. <laughs> Coming off the bench, 100 yards rushing, 130 passing, touchdown machine, third down and fourth down machine. Spencer Sanders is abs. He looked at that. I guarantee you guys in that post game locker room and he or the post game press conference, and he was like, "Well, yeah, I'm playing. It's it's Oklahoma. Have you seen yeah. what mobile quarterbacks can do to those guys? Of course, I'm playing. Um, it's going to be a tough ask for the Oklahoma defense to stop him. This is the safest Sanders will have been since he." Uh- Got him hobbled. Yeah. Like Oklahoma can't, they can't arm tackle. They can't do it. So um, I, I don't know who they're going to find on the sideline that can actually hit Spencer Sanders that might be able to. Uh, like Oklahoma's only hope is frankly, like, I don't want this to happen, knock on the wood, but like for a scenario to happen where Spencer Sanders is not finishing out the football game. Like that's defensively, that's their hope at getting stops. How big is this game for Brent Venables? I mean, I was, we, we don't think that, you know, Nobody, nobody here thinks he's going to be let go after the season or anything. Nothing crazy like that. He, he's back next year at the very least. Um, but man, I mean, the the court of public opinion is is not great on him right now. You fans are very divided on. I mean, there there is, and they're pretty ridiculous. But that it's the reality of college football fans. There is a a a a group out there that wants OU to move on to cut their losses and say this isn't working. You know, this is a debacle. I mean, that that those people exist. They they are real people. They're out there. How important is it for Brent to, to find a way to get this? I mean, well, I feel like even, even the more skeptical OU fans, if he finds a way to win this Bedlam game, finish strong, like there, there's still some potential to have some momentum into the offseason. But, I mean, you know, this this is an opportunity. How important is it that he finds a way to, to steal this? Yeah, anybody who is saying right now seriously with a serious – look on their face that Brent Venables is over out of his depth or over his head or uh, <laughs> not over his skis anymore. You know, uh, anybody who says he needs to be fired or needs to be replaced or Joe Stiglow made a mistake. You can't give those people credibility on a respectable podcast like the SI Sooners, the all Sooners podcast. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're so, out there, man. I see it. There, I, know, I know they're out there. I know they, they, they say these things, but, Here's where here's where here's how big this game is for Oklahoma. You're five and five. It's been a disastrous season. Um, you're a little bit shell shocked from your first season going so sideways so fast. You look around in December 
and your team is seven and five, and this is the fan base, the administration, the coaching staff. Well, at least we didn't lose to Oklahoma State. That's 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 what they're saying. Uh, at least we went on the road and finished strong and beat Texas Tech and Lubbock. That's that's a good thing. We can take that. At, at least we didn't fail to make a bowl game. At least we kept our streak alive of 23 24 consecutive winning seasons. You know, stuff like that. That's what's at stake is there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of, oh, God, please don't be the one to screw this up. And that's how important this game is for Brent Venables. He doesn't want to be the one to screw up what Bob Stoops and himself, Brent Venables, started so many years ago. Yeah, I think that's big. I think the other thing, too, is um, Garen Emig asked the question, drawing the parallels to 2009, right? And here's what I remember of 2009. It was very different. It was a misfiring offense and a really good defense. So it's a different dynamic. But that was a group that for a Bedlam game that shouldn't have had a lot of sex appeal, a lot of a, a lot of glitz and glamour, there was no U crowd that was up for that game and up for how Oklahoma played and came out and shut out the Cowboys. And that's important when you consider this is going to be a really big recruiting weekend for Oklahoma. David Hicks is supposed to be in the house. The, the Bowens are supposed to be in the house. Um, like th- That is very important. And this thing... We talked about it with the Kansas game, right? The other big recruiting weekend. If you come out and you sputter and you're slow, it could turn. The fans could get into it in a negative way, and that's not the what you want to kind of paint the picture to everyone on hand. So I think that's really important, and Brentman was also kind of alluded to the fact that Oklahoma is going to be a much bigger player in the state of Oklahoma in his press conference when Hoove asked about recruiting on Tuesday, yesterday. So it's also important that if you want to be a big player in Oklahoma and you've only got three of those games left, Max, you don't want Mike Gundy going around and being like, well, hey, you can go to Oklahoma, but the last, you know, four times that these two teams played, we won three of the four because that would be what you're setting yourself on on a path toward or something like that, whatever the numbers end up being. Yeah, Ryan, read my, you read my mind with the recruiting part of it. You know, and this is one of those spots where fans get upset when when you know you guys when you lose recruits or guys flip or or whatever. This is truly the one part of this of college football, of, uh, yeah, college sports in particular that you can have an impact if you're a fan. I mean, this should be a, it's a it's night game, it's bedlam. Like this should be a, a scene on Saturday and you have a chance to influence these recruits. Like this is actually your chance as an OU fan to help, um, help your team, help Brent Venables, help the program. So um, we'll see if how the turnout is. Um, it is a five and five team playing their last home game and that that's the reality, but it is still Bedlam. And like Ryan said, there's going to be a lot of recruits there, including David Hicks, the big fish, you know, who's committed to A&M, but certainly feels flippable maybe. Um, so We'll see. That's going to be a, it's going to be a scene. Um, and like Ryan said, I think it could absolutely, you know, if you're down 14 up in five minutes in with a couple of stops and a couple of easy touchdowns, it, it could get ugly quick. So we'll see. It's uh it's going to be fun. Always is. Yeah. Which one of you guys said blood in the water, Josh, was that you? That OSU smells yeah, blood OSU, in the water. Yeah, OSU feels so, an opportunity to embarrass OU here. Yeah, I mean, for yeah. sure. And one of the things is last year, right? OU announces, we're going to the SEC. See you guys. You're on your own. OU comes out. And ki- I'm sorry. OSU comes out and kicks their ass in Bedlam. So you've got that. Yeah. It was like a roadblock. It was like a brick in the face. Right out. Okay. First Bedlam after you've announced you're going to the SEC, right? What about this one? We don't know if this could be the last Bedlam or at least the last Bedlam in Norman, Oklahoma. So 
you, you've got that pride to play for, man. You mentioned the recruiting. Uh, Jackson Arnold's supposed to be here as well as the the Bowens, his teammates. Uh, Hicks, as you mentioned, Hicks right now committed to Texas A and M, but he's still visiting other schools. He's looking around, guys. He's looking around and he's checking, yeah. he's making sure he knows that what he got from Texas A and M is like non transferable. <laughs> In other words, they can't take it back, right? So he's looking around and seeing if there's a possibility that he might actually want to co- go play college football somewhere else, huge opportunity for Oklahoma to put their best foot forward in recruiting, showing him off, showing him around, putting on a good show, lights, LEDs, fireworks, fans, a big win. Uh, the the last part, of course, the big win being the real variable here. If Oklahoma can get a big win, maybe they impress him enough to consider. Why is he visiting? If he's committed to Texas A&M, right? Why is he visiting? So. All right, dude, how do we want to approach this? Did Ryan have to jump off? I think he just dropped. Um, okay. Try and get back in, hopefully. All right. Yeah. There, there he is. is. So I just finished my point about Hicks. All right, so I'll just pick it up. Um. All right. We got you right now, Ryan? Okay, just making sure. Okay. Um. Yeah. So you were talking about Hicks. <laughs> How to pick it up, making that sound weird. All right, you guys ready? Yeah, I mean, just finding a way to uh, at least put out a good effort, good good environment. All that feels really important uh, for Oklahoma in this game on Saturday. Uh, going to be a scene, like I said. Going to be cold. Going to be uh, fun under the lights. It is still ABC. It is still Bedlam. One of the last times we get to have Bedlam if uh, it doesn't continue into the SEC and all that. Like we don't doesn't sound like it's going to. Um, we'll see uh, what what we're looking at on uh, Saturday. I remember last year in Stillwater, it was it was mayhem for this game. Same deal, primetime ABC, same exact uh, situation. So we'll see if Norman can replicate that uh, this weekend for sure. What's the biggest key here for OU? Um, you know, if you can pinpoint it to one thing or you know or two, whatever. Um, OU has to do this if they're going to win. You know, what, what, what's the area? What's the main thing that if they're going to find a way that, that this has to happen? Well, I think the key to this game, Josh, is uh, Oklahoma's turnovers. If you can get out of this game without giving the football back to that Oklahoma State offense, giving them extra possessions where your defense is already at a disadvantage, if Oklahoma can take care of the football in the wind, in the cold, uh, I think they've got a real chance to win the game. And possibly, possibly, I'm going to go down this path, possibly even cover the spread. Yeah, for me, the defense is the defense. That's not a great matchup. So Dylan Gabriel has to play his best game as an Oklahoma Sooner. Plain, plain and simple. Because I agree. Sanders and Gabriel, their numbers have been very similar this year. The problem is that Sanders has been playing with what looks like a bum shoulder. Again, that's not official, but it looks like Sanders has been playing with a bum shoulder for half the year. So that's not a big, huge compliment to Dylan Gabriel that you're on pace with the guy that is clearly not playing at the all Big 12 level, Big 12 quarterback first team that, that Spencer Sanders was the first four or five games of the year. So Dylan Gabriel have had some pretty meh moments. Go out there and you're going to have to play your best game in a Sooner uniform. And if that happens, then I think Oklahoma can take advantage of what is the worst defense in the Big 12. That's what Oklahoma State's defense is. It's crazy that that's like a statement, but it is just in total defense, all that stuff. So 
Dilly Gabriel plays his best game, he can take advantage of that. If not, this defensive line is good enough that Eric Ray is not going to run for 250 on his own. He's going to need some help. Yeah, no, I agree. Dylan Gabriel's going to need to play a lot better. Um, yeah, I mean, it, he's had a weird season. He's had moments where he's been really solid. He started off very strong, and you don't even really, you can't even really point to the, uh, you know, obviously the concussion as being anything because he was playing very poorly against TCU, and he missed a lot of throws against Kansas State before that injury, and he's played good at times since that injury. He played well most of the Kansas game. Um, obviously, they scored 52 points in that game. So, he just had a very inconsistent year, and uh, they need good Gabriel on uh, on Saturday if they're going to win this. They need good Gabriel, hey. and uh, defense is going to need to play uh, maybe their best game as well. Yeah, I agree. What did you guys think of uh, – Josh, you missed it, but I'm sure you saw the videos. What did you make of the body language that we saw from Oklahoma football players on Monday night? We interviewed seven players, Ryan and I did. Body language looked a little morose, looked like they were leaving, had just stepped out of a funeral house. Yeah, it was not great. It wasn't wasn't great. It wasn't great, which is weird when you pair that with like, that was the cheeriest and peppiest Venables presser we've had since the season started. That's before. Yeah, that's really bizarre. Maybe he's trying to pick that energy up. He senses the same thing that we did on Monday night. Yeah, no, yeah, and that, that is something that I I've personally felt as the on the field guy has been pretty good. I mean, I feel like in warmups, every single game, this year for the most part with maybe the exception of the Texas game, because I think they kind of knew what they were walking into a little bit there without Gabriel playing. Um, I always feel like it warms the energy's there. They're excited to play. They're hyping each other up. You know, it, they come out of the tunnel, especially on the road. You know, like I, I think of the Iowa state game where they were all like, they look like they were ready to go out there and make something happen. And then the game kind of starts and it almost slowly fades as they struggle. Um, so we'll see. I think hopefully Saturday, you know, you would think that, I mean, it's going to be, it's the time change already happened. So the lights are going to be on in warmups. It's going to be dark. Crowd should be into it. You would hope. And and we'll see uh, maybe some of that, that life comes back into them when they kind of just get swept up into the moment of the rivalry, not really worrying about all the outside of this season has not been good. You know what I mean? And once you, once the game starts, you kind of don't really worry about that kind of stuff. So We'll see. It's going to be interesting uh, on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Uh, that's for sure. Bellum's always fun. We don't get a ton more of these. Um, so we'll see. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Saturday night in Norman. All right, we'll take one last time out here. We'll come back. We'll look around the Big 12, do a little NFL talk and a little basketball talk to wrap up and send you on your way into your Bedlam weekend next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 159. Get some last few things here. We'll send you on your way into your bedlam weekend. Should be fun. Always a really fun week in the state, uh, just in general. And uh, the cra- most crowded media game of any game that we do this year. Because uh, all the OSU media flocks Norman. 
reverse obviously was last year in Stillwater. The sidelines are packed. The press box, I'm sure, is packed up there. It's uh, it's a scene, but it's fun. It's fun to see our OSU brethren for, for one week uh, in the old Bedlam matchup. So should be a fun game on Saturday. Let's go on the Big 12 a little bit um, this weekend. TCU beat Texas last Saturday. So the Horn Frogs are still undefeated. They are... Obviously, they have been for a while. The one and only hope for a Big 12 playoff team. Nobody else is even remotely in the conversation. Um, everybody else has got at least three losses, um, which is nuts, uh, especially this late in the year. Obviously, just a couple games left. Nobody else is even in the top 15. Uh, and sure. the Actually, I take that back. K-State is 15. Um, this weekend, TCU's in Waco trying to stay undefeated. That's really the big Big 12 is just what is TCU doing. They play at Baylor. It's the big noon kickoff game on Fox at 11. K-State's in Morgantown. We'll see how West Virginia can follow up their OU win. If they turn around and upset West Kansas State, that'd be kind of funny. Uh, Texas is in Lawrence. Big rivalry game there, Texas and Kansas. And then Texas Tech and Iowa State in Ames. All the attention is really just on what TCU does, right? I mean, that that's really where the Big 12 is right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and obviously Bedlam, national television, right? As we talked about. Yeah, right. Uh, here's the thing. Sam Mays on my radio show and I have been discussing this all season long. Are we looking at a really high quality Big 12 or are we looking at one one undefeated team and a really mediocre Big 12 that's kind of cannibalizing itself? Either way, it's cannibalizing itself. But look at the standings. There are currently six with two games to go. There's six teams that have already clinched six wins at least. Uh, so six teams that are definitely going to a bowl game. As of right now, two weeks left to go in the season, two games left. Nobody has been eliminated from bowl contention. Not even West Virginia, not even Iowa State have been eliminated from bowl contention. So that is uh, that is wild to me. I don't think all 10 of them are going bowling. I don't think that's mathematically possible. It, it is actually, mathematically possible. It actually possible. is mathematically yeah. possible. But I'm just saying uh, I, Iowa State's going to have to beat uh, Iowa State's going to have to beat TCU down the stretch at TCU in the final week as well as Texas Tech. It ain't happening, but mathematically <laughs> it is very possible. Uh, that would be peak Big 12, that it's just like, hey, we tried. For once, you didn't have a, a just murderer's row for TCU down the stretch, a team that had the early bye week, and then, oh, Iowa State pops up. Like, that would just be the most Big 12 thing ever. Just be like, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, but they, so, they would go from losing that playoff bid to getting that extra bowl game down at the bottom. <laughs> that Which we all know in the conference that needs money, it's going to be hemorrhaging <laughs> money compared to – the Big Ten, the SEC, um, not everybody else. They're they're really stoked about that tenth bowl cut, uh, which would would be interesting. Would be a lot of fun. But it would be like what sixty bucks plus some uh, four pack of uh, tickets to the IHL hockey game or something that night or something. That's your that's your uh, bowl payout from the tenth tenth bowl. I actually think the the Big, the, uh, the Big Twelve just gets free tickets to Arlington and the XFL. I think that's just what they get out of that. They don't actually get any any payout. It's just hey, any Big Twelve teams that want to come through. But yeah, I mean, it's it's all attention on can TCU just overcome in a rivalry game a bad Baylor team like we, we saw last week. That's a bad Baylor team, which leads me to believe that it's more just meh football outside of um, Kansas State not being able to figure out the right quarterback to play. Play Will Howard. We were all wrong. Play Will Howard. And then TCU. Yeah, I think it, it, looking at it, it was – yeah, if OU wins this weekend and then Tech beats them in Lubbock next week, Iowa State finds a way to win their last two, West Virginia finds a way to win their last two, everybody would be bowl eligible, which is like the most big 12 thing ever to have just 10 
full eligible teams, but no contenders, just a bunch <laughs> of like okay teams. That would be really on brand for the Big 12. And they'll probably go out and uh, win a bunch of bowls because Big 12 teams seem to take their bowls more seriously than other conferences, um, generally speaking. So we'll we'll see. I love the bowl season. I'm addicted to the bowl season. That's the, that will be the best part of OU not making a bowl. If that happens, we get robbed of a bowl trip. But I will consume mass amounts of bowls on TV. <laughs> Traveling to a bowl and spending five days in San Antonio last year really cut into my bowl watching. And uh, I'll just consume all the bowls if uh, if Oklahoma's not in one. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, should be fun. Speaking of the XFL, by the way, uh, Ryan mentioned it. Shout out Charleston Rambo, number four pick by the Orlando wow. Guardians today in the uh, offensive skill uh, draft. They draft like by position. He was the number four pick for skill players. So Charleston hmm. Rambo still, he'll always have that orange bowl catch where everybody thought he was going to be like the man. It didn't really happen after that. Um, but he'll always have that catch against Alabama. So shout out Charleston Rambo. Not playing for Bob Stoops, but he is in the XFL with the Orlando Guardians. All right, looking at the NFL, getting off X and going to N. Um, not a huge week for Sooners in the NFL. I had a hard time, honestly, looking for a good candidate for Sooners in the NFL. There was a lot of bye weeks, a lot of guys who didn't play, a lot of guys who just didn't do a whole lot. CeeDee Lamb did have a really big day in a losing effort, though, uh, for the Cowboys against the Packers. Baker Mayfield is back as the starter of the Panthers this week. So we'll get to see Baker uh, this weekend, see what he can do for Carolina. And Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, controversial loss on Monday. So the undefeated season is no more. 72 Dolphins pop the champagne, all that good stuff. Um, but a relatively light week for NFL Sooners, uh, all things considered. Although I, I almost forgot who mentioned, I should say it, Tyrese Robinson with the Eagles now. So that is a, uh, they are now tied for the high. Eagles, Chiefs, and Cardinals have four Sooners on them. That's the high, That's the tie of the high. So those are your, those are your pro, biggest pro OU teams in the league. And also D.D. Westbrook signed with the Green Bay Packers yesterday. So uh, D.D. keeping his career going, which is kind of cool. Now, D.D. Was running, is running a restaurant on Campus Corner, isn't he? He's got is a, food a restaurant truck. or a food truck? It's a food truck. Yeah. Food truck. So it's not on Campus Corner. It's all over Norman. I guess it, it, it could be. be on Campus Corner at any point. <laughs> he parks it on Campus Corner on game days. That's that's what I was thinking. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. What would you rather do, run a food truck or play for an NFL team? Is he on the practice squad? Well, I, normally I'd pick NFL team, but I, would, I think I'd rather run a food truck than deal with Aaron Rodgers. Also play in that weather. Miss me with that, Lambo. No, thank you. Um, I'm checking right now. He was indeed signed to the practice squad. But I think it's kind of like what you do, right? When you're signed and then if they like like you in practice, they'll activate you kind of a thing. I think that's kind of like the formality. Yeah, most, most guys don't get signed off the practice squad onto the uh, active roster. It's just practice squad is an extra. It's like the scout team. You it does happen. Curtis, Curtis Bolton had it happen for Ryan's Raiders just like a week yeah, ago. Yeah, he's, he got happen. signed off the practice squad, made a solo tackle. So, um, but yeah, it happens. Um, I'm just saying that most of the the eight or nine guys that however whatever the number is, most of sure. the, most of those guys don't actually get to play on the big team. Uh, but they do make some pretty righteous bucks playing on that practice squad because they get to show up and bang heads every day in practice. Still too much interaction with Aaron Rodgers for me, uh, <laughs> whether you're on the scout team or not. But he'll get in there and he'll have an opportunity because the Packers have been 
not happy with their offerings at wide receiver. So if he goes in there, has an electric week of practice and tears it up, that's all you can do. You know what I mean? One of those situations. So it'll be interesting. Maybe. It'll be nice to get a bunch of guys off by though this next week and, and kind of be uh, closer to full strength as far as the Oklahoma contingent playing on Sundays though, kind of like Josh said. Sorry, Brian, to step on you there, but Didi is is when he played was so fast and so explosive that the Packers may be surprised if he's kept himself in shape and if he's a hundred percent healthy. You know what I mean, ready to go out there and explode. He may surprise them. They may get him out there and go, "Did you see this guy run? Do you see how fast and explosive he is?" So. Yeah, hopefully he uh, opens some eyes, turns some heads. Certainly not forgotten around these parts, uh, Oklahoma fans and whatnot, but I, I bet the general college football public um, has, you know, remember D.D. Westbrook, like how good he was? He was a Heisman finalist as a receiver, which mm-hmm. is really hard to do. He was insane that season, insane. And most of the time, whenever it's like a quarterback receiver type of thing, I tend to lean quarterback makes the receiver. But if you watched Oklahoma that year, you know that D.D. Westbrook was open for Baker Mayfield by like 15 yards every time. He was unbelievable that year. The West Virginia touchdown through the snow, he just runs through everybody. I mean, he he had that was that was one of the more fun OU seasons from an individual player in recent memory. So shout out to D.D. sticking on, keeping his career going. So it's kind of cool when guys just refuse to give up. You know, keep playing if they can. It's always I, I always kind of think that's kind of cool. So we'll see if uh, he ever gets an opportunity there with the Packers. Like Ryan said, receiving course not anything to be, you know, amazed by. So maybe he can get in there at some point. Who knows? Um, Flipping over to some basketball to wrap things up. Um, We'll start with the men since Ryan and I were there last night. Two wins in a row after the debacle against Sam Houston that we talked about last week. They bounced back last Friday. I I admittedly didn't see much outside of highlights. None of us were at the game last Friday against Arkansas Pine Bluff. But they kind of flirted with disaster again. They pulled it out and did win in the final moments. But last night, not so much. They rolled UNC Wilmington far and away the best that they've looked so far, even exhibition game included. Um, they shot the ball well. They moved the ball well. Defense was really good. And the reality is that UNC Wilmington battled number one North Carolina in Chapel Hill just a little over a week ago. Uh, they pushed them. It was a competitive game. And Oklahoma, they won easily. I mean, they covered the spread. So a lot to be encouraged by. Uh, last night for the men, back-to-back wins are at two and one, going into another home game on Friday uh, against South Alabama. Yeah, you guys were in the arena. I watched the game on TV, and uh, I told you all yesterday at the press conference, at Venable's press conference, I said North Carolina Wilmington is going to beat their butts. Mm-hmm. You know, based on what we'd seen out of Oklahoma against Sam Houston and Pine Bluff, and what we'd seen out of Wilmington, I thought this is this is going to be bad. They're going to start one and two with the you know the, one of those with the win being a, a close win over a mid-major. No, Oklahoma came out early, put the put the <laughs> foot to the gas, and uh, get, got some early contributions, explosive contributions from Joe Bamisil. That was very impressive. And you heard Porter, Motor, Porter Moser in the postgame say, this is why Joe is here, yeah. scoring, you know, dynamic, uh, explosive. Um, so, so that was good to see. They have maybe, is it too early to say, too soon? They've turned a little bit of a corner there, at least at this stage of the early season. Yeah, we'll have to see. If, if they can roll that into South Alabama, then maybe. Um, Porter Moser talked a ton about um, that tight game against Arkansas Pine Bluff. They went out there in the last minute and executed on their inbounds plays, moving the basketball, scoring. They got over that hump, and he basically said that he felt like the entire team just took a deep breath relaxed because from the jump I mean they were out to a 12-2 start 
and then things cl- clamped up a little bit, and then Bamisil comes in and in a twelve point explosion from Bamisil uh, in basically a four minute stretch. It felt like, and then from there, yeah, sharing the basketball, all that stuff. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I still think that Porter Moser is a little too. He will pull Bamisil because he's not totally there defensively, and I get what he's trying to do as far as telling him you have to be as into guarding on the defensive end of the floor as you are in the offense. That's what Joe Bamisil said, but when they get into Big 12 play, at some point you might have to take a little bit of defense off the floor to get Bamisil on it because it's just a different dynamic uh, while C.J. Nolan continues to get more comfortable taking the ball to the rack and then guys like freshman Miles Uzan, those guys kind of grow into the season. If I were you guys, I'd go to our website, allsooners.com, and, and check out Josh's highlights. He's down there on the court and shot the video highlights. Um, that's uh, that's out there. Gives you a good example, a good look at uh, you know the speed of the game that Oklahoma's playing with defensively. You see a lot of defensive rotations. Uh, Tanner Groves at several times last night was playing above the rim, which was good to see. Um, he's lighter. Uh, I guess he's heavier, but like thinner, mus- more muscular, more explosive. Lean. Yes, he's leaner. Thank you. Um, uh, him and his brother both have done wonders in the uh, in a full year now of the OU weight program, weight training program, strength program. So, um, yeah, I, I just think you got a lot. Uh, the, the the bench looked really good last night. Bench came in and did some good cleanup work. Uh, Bijan Cortez looked like he was electric about four or five times during that game. And, you know, the kid's got ability. It's just you want to see him be consistent and put it together. And last night it looked like he was on the verge of doing that. Definitely. You know, and after the opener against Sam Houston, I mean, Porter Moser and the Groves Bros in postgame, they, they all seem pretty genuine to me of being very surprised at how ugly it was in the opener, you know, saying that's not the team we used to have seen in practice. You know, they, they all were very upset and frustrated, disappointed in that first game. So last night it was much different tenor, much different tone of that was more like what we thought we were going to do from the start. So we'll see if they've turned a corner and they can – I mean, Oklahoma, the way they play defense, if they score 74, they did last night, they're going to be in good shape most of the time. So we'll, we'll see uh, how they shake out the rest of the way. Again, they have South Alabama at home on Friday. Another kind of, you know, what do you make of it type of game. But then next week they go to Florida. We'll play some better competition, starting with that Nebraska game on Thanksgiving. And we'll learn – uh, a little more about them, uh, I think, next week, certainly in that tournament format, uh, you know, like I said, in Florida next week. Women, to wrap up, 3-0, and they come back last night. In, that was a good win last night. They played BYU on the road. It was a good team. They were trailing at half, and they turned it on the second half and won it. They're 3-0 and to start. Now, what's really crazy, I didn't even realize this till earlier today we were getting ready to record, they play again tonight. Against Utah, they're back to back. That incredibly rare in uh, college basketball. I mean, once you get a tournament play, sure, but with traveling, very rare. Uh, so they play Utah tonight, who's also good. But I mean, Jenny B's got it rolling. I mean, good start, three and zero. I don't know what more you could really hope for uh, to start the season. They look good. Yeah, last night um, they fell behind by eleven in the second quarter, twenty nine eighteen. Nevea Tot comes out and scores career high twenty one. I'm sorry, career high eighteen in the second half uh she was on fire she's fun to watch man she just throws her body around gets to the rim beats her man off the dribble uh but yeah maddie williams 21 last night oh you shot two of i think 15 in the first half from from distance and uh you look at the final box score and uh taylor robertson still scores finished with six points still hit two of 10 from three-point range not a good percentage but 
She joins the 2000 point club on a, on a, what is an absolutely dreadful off shooting night for her. She still breaks another record. So uh, I'm just telling you pace, tempo, getting the ball up and down pressure defense. This team's fun to watch. Yeah, and there's a ton of energy, too, with it as far as what Jenny Baranchek brings to the sideline. And we saw this last year, right? It, it never felt like they were out of any game because they're not afraid to keep shooting. And when you can shoot like they can, all you need is a five-minute stretch, get hot, and you're back in it. So got to beat Utah again Wednesday night. And then it'll be another question that we had last year is – there was that time in the middle of the year where they kept winning games and would either just stay stagnant or wouldn't move up or drop in the polls. That's happened to them to start. All they did was two blowouts in game one and two, take a step back in the poll. It doesn't make any sense. So maybe a uh, good performance against BYU. And if they can close out this trip against Utah, uh, people might wake up to the fact that uh, GDB has got a, a fun team cooking here yet again in, in Norm. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be encouraged just by the fact that, you know, after, like Ryan said, two blowout wins to go on the road, get hit in the mouth a little bit, be trailing, and then you you turn it on and you win. I mean, that you're going to have to do that over the course of the season. You're not just going to roll everybody, obviously. So uh, a lot to be encouraged by. Then, yeah, the back-to-back here now against a, a Utah team that's also ranked number 25. Um, I would love to say I'm going to watch this game, but it's on Pac-12 Network, which I have no idea how to get or, or find. So I'll be keeping up as best I can. But, Thanks a uh, lot, Larry Scott. Literally, like that. Does Pac-12 Network even exist? Like it just is out there, and there's games on it. But yeah. I don't know anybody who knows any way to, to find it or watch it. So we'll no. see what happens in that game tonight. Uh, Oklahoma and Utah should be a good one. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna. I don't know how anybody can find it. But we'll see if they can keep it all going and uh, get another big win. But they're also a good start. So that's it for us. Bedlam this weekend. Looking forward to it. It's going to be cold, but I'm excited. It's always fun uh, for the Sooners and the Cowboys. We'll have tons of coverage there for you. Already do on allsooners.com and a lot more leading up for the rest of this week up until Saturday night in Norman. We'll all be there. We'll have the postgame pod for you. Of course, certified fresh really late into the night. Um, we have a couple night games to finish up, so we're going to have some late pods to wrap up this season um, on Saturday. And then next week, who's got a dog in his lap? Just feeling good about life right now. Uh, Going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Bellum this weekend. Any last thoughts? No. no. <laughs> We're good. I don't know if you want to go. Dog my, my dog has sneaked into my office and uh, is now <laughs> under my feet wanting to be, get on the blog. So, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to make a pact with everyone. I will try not to inhale a disease sandwich in the press box. Even over the last two weeks, <laughs> we close shop down. I don't believe you at all. If there's a sandwich in there, you're eating it again, and we all know it. It's not ESPN Plus this time, so I don't expect it to be trashed. If we do, Dave Passion and Dvorak, we know who to blame. Yeah, they, they lock their sweets up in, in Stillwater pretty early, so uh, we're going to have to lay our claim when we get there for the post-game podcast. In Lubbock, games in Norman. Uh, you're right. Jeez, I was thinking of I was thinking <laughs> of last year when we were wandering around wandering yeah, down they, that hallway. If we went to Stillwater on Saturday, we'd have problems. He'd be like, Yeah, that's right. <laughs> might be a little late. Holy cow. Edit that part out. <laughs> it stays in. That's it uh, for yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking it's two in the morning and it's, it's podcast time and it's just my brain is just not working. <laughs> I don't remember what we did last year, uh, but we were we were holding people up. I remember that because uh, yeah, they, it's one of those places where they wait. I remember editing that pod at like four a.m. and then yeah. Lincoln left, and then Lincoln goes to USC like six hours later. Jerk, <laughs> jerk. Sure. 
all right, making us, we were not even alive. And it was like, I think that might've been the only one up whenever like the first family tweet came in and it was like, no, no, I don't want to do deal with this. Uh, what a day, what a time, what a time to be alive. Uh, last year's Bedlam game. Hopefully the aftermath is a little less insane this time around. You would hope you would hope. So yeah, we'll have the post game show late Saturday night into Sunday morning. Watch for that one. Games in Norman. In Norman, our, <laughs> our our box. We are going to Lubbock to end the year. That's going to be a lot of fun out there at uh, oh. 18T Jones. 18T Jones? Jones 18T. I always get it backwards. Jones 18T. Jones yeah. 18 I want to say 18T first for some reason. Jones 18T Stadium. I've been there once before. Uh, good facilities out there in Lubbock. It's going to be cold and scary like it always is. Um, looking forward to that. But we'll have Bedlam first this weekend. Again, catch the post-game show. We'll do it late Saturday night, Sunday morning. You can listen to that one on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart. Wherever you get your podcasts, if you have an Amazon Nibble device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Let's post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, you can watch all the shows on Who's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it. We'll see you late Saturday from Norman. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway.